Okay. Hello, Avery, how are you? I'm doing well. It's kind of exciting to do a podcast for the first time, so... Look, to be honest with you, that's why I don't ask anybody any questions, because why should you get all the excitement? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, you were, yeah. if, if I knew everything I was going to ask you, it would be just work for me. Whereas this way, we haven't a fucking clue how this is going to go. You know, yeah. that's generally, <clears throat> well, because I've never met someone with BPD that I didn't like. It's yeah. Just, it's just the way we are. We're good people. Yeah. I, I'm trying to promote the fact that we're good people. Yeah, I'm not I'm not delusional in saying that we're generally good people. It's just, you know what I think is the problem? Mm. Do you know when you take an animal out of the, its environment and put it into the zoo? Yep. It generally doesn't cope well. I think. We're from somewhere else. I don't believe in aliens or anything like that, but I kind of <laughs> think we were landed in a fucking zoo. Yeah. And we're not really doing well. And I think that's all it is. We, we arrived on a planet. I'd like to admit that I was one of the first. <laughs> Maybe of the male species. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to admit I was one of the first. But I, even when I came, there was no user manual with me. So yeah. I had to figure this shit out like, you know. Um, you have BPD, don't you? Yes. I was diagnosed last year. Um, actually... July last year but prior to that I'd always like I mean I'm I can remember all the way back to being like 14 15 and just thinking that there was something wrong with me like mm. just I <clears throat> I had this circular motion of you know I was like I'd I'd make friends and then something would blow up and then I'd like become almost obsessive trying to fix it and then I would get calm again and I'd be okay with it and forget about it. And then the same thing would happen with the next person and the next person and the next person, but kind of in the interim, the interim of all of it, there were a few people that I found that saw me as me instead of what I was doing and how I was feeling and how I was behaving. Mm. And so that helped kind of transition me into, okay, maybe I'm not such a, you know, in my own words, how I describe myself was like, I feel like a psychopath. And at the time I didn't know what the definition was. Mm. And that's exactly how I felt. And a lot of people were like, looking at me like, no, you're not a psychopath. You don't kill people. And I'm like, <laughs> and then now as I'm educating myself and kind of being a part of a few different groups, I just laugh now because people are like, I hate it when people look at us and they see criminal minds and they all think we murder people. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Lord, no, no, <clears throat> I don't murder people. I mean, I'll murder you in my head, but I'm not actually going to do it. <laughs> you make yeah. me mad. But no, we, um, I knew that like, just, I don't know. I just knew that there was always something wrong, but you know, because of the life that I live in the environment I grew up in, you know, I grew up in a, you know, a very small, small, small town, like 4,000 people in the, in the state, specifically in Texas. Hmm. And, you know, it's like, everybody knew their neighbors, 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 kids, grandparents, parents, you know, all the crap they did in high school and so forth. And now, you know, I'm I'm back in this little small town and I'm just going, wow, <laughs> there's crazy people everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's and I say that non offensively, it just is funny to me because now I'm coming back as an older person diagnosed, know what's going on, kind of have a grip on my life. And I'm looking at it and I'm just laughing because I'm like, 
people think that we're out of control and we're extremists. And I'm like, look down the street, the guy that wants to pull his gun out and shoot you just because you're driving by his property and you stop to check your phone in front of his driveway, thinks you're trying to break in. Like that's, that should be a mental disorder. <laughs> like it's the, called the, um, the Texas crisis <laughs> personality disorder. Oh my gosh. It's, oh, it's bad. But um, yeah, we just, I'm, I'm actually really thankful for it. A lot of people think, oh, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. And I'm like, you know what? It literally was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, being diagnosed with borderline. Because I had, like, since I was little, little, um, I've always had this, like, internal, um, I just want to call it an internal compass. And I fully believe that it came from my grandmother. My grandmother was like, my we call it an fp but she was my human when i was a baby like even growing up like i didn't get to see her a whole lot but when i did it was like the world just stopped and everything was peaceful nothing was wrong and <clears throat> she always like we i came from a um a, i'm just going to call it a faith-filled background and my grandmother always told me that the biggest thing i never want you to forget is i want you to make sure that no matter what, love people as they are, not as you think they are. And that, to me as a kid, I was like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. You know, I just thought it was crazy at first, but now, you know, living the life that I do, I mean, I'm a single mom, I've got two kids, I've, you know, got <clears throat> 15 dogs at the moment, hopefully we'll get back down to four here pretty quick. And we, that's literally been all the, all that my life is consumed of is that I have chosen to love people regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their situation, regardless of what it did to me, how I reacted, how, you know, maybe I got stomped on, walked over, whatever, but I chose to love. And the funny thing is that when I chose to love, I couldn't choose to hate. You can't hate somebody and love them at the same time. It's physically impossible. Just like you can't, you know, you can't be like eating something and then drinking at the same time. You either have to stop eating and take a sip or you have to just continue eating, then take a sip. And, you know, it just, that's kind of been my, my mantra, I guess, for my life is that I choose to love regardless of who you are. But now with being diagnosed, I've kind of established some boundaries with that just because I have children, obviously. So I don't want them to be heavily affected by what other people choose to do and the outcomes of their decisions. But um, now, you know, it's like, if, if, if I'm, I will never, I will do my best to never break my word. Are there times that that happens? Probably, yeah. And I'm sure there's probably a few enemies that will say the same. But um, when I got diagnosed, that was the one thing that I noticed was that everybody was like, oh, well, you don't have BPD. There's no way you'd have BPD. There's just no way. And I'm, I thought about it and I was like, but why? Like, how can you know if I truly have BPD? Because all my doctors, all my medical staff, all everybody is telling me that like, it's emotional. It's an internal thing. Like, it's not just this sleeve I wear that says, hey, I'm borderline, you know, and people just know. Mm. It's, 
it's an understanding. And from that understanding, you learn and you build and you get better and you learn to manage it. It's not this, oh, you get borderline. Let me just throw you a bunch of drugs and let's just see what happens. Like, it's not, it's not that easy. It's, it takes work. It takes a lot of, you know, grit to get to this point. And I just kind of like, at first I was really pissed off about it. And I, I try my hardest not to get mad because if I get mad, it's like, I just tell people, if you ever see me get real, real, real quiet, run, (laughs) just run because it's not going to be pretty. And I try really, really hard not to allow how I feel to dictate what I do. And a lot of that comes from, you know, how I grew up. Like I didn't have, you know, I mean, you have your family life and what everybody thinks you look like, but then you've got your own life and the crap you're doing that you're not telling anybody else about. And, you know, growing up in kind of the environment that I did, like, I just, you know, I made a lot of stupid decisions. I may, I had a lot of really stupid shit happen to me. I mean, I was, I was sexually abused as a child. Um, and then it just kind of found its way throughout my life until I was God until man, I want to say right before my son came, it was just, I mean, it was like, you want to talk about the epitome of a Gulf war or any kind of war. And just, you see atomic bombs just blowing up. I mean, that's what my life was from being a kid until I was about 21. And, but all in the interim of that, I work in a family business. And so I was at the age of five, I was sitting out on a forklift driving it. And but I don't know what you guys call them. Maybe they're forklifts where you're yeah. from. But, yeah. you know, sure. I've been driving heavy machinery since I was a kid. I've had to learn how to focus on things that I didn't understand. I've had to learn to solve problems that had no answers. <laughs> like, you know, but that's all a part of kind of the good side of my growing up was that I learned all these mechanisms. And I really, truly believe that a lot of that, while a lot of that is intermingled with a lot of my hurt and my trauma and my pain, it also was part of my solution too. And so when I got diagnosed, my doctor was, uh, we'll just call her an asshole. That's the minimal that I'm going to say that. And so I, I remember her telling me and just having this feeling of like, just complete loss of who I felt I was and like just another spiral effect. And I just remember going, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to fit? Like, give me some answers. Like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what this is. Is this normal to feel like this? Is this normal to do this? Is this? And she was like, I can't give you those answers. You're going to have to figure them out for yourself. And so from ground zero, I was on my own. I didn't have like, I mean, I had my doctors, I had the therapy, I had all of that. Well, the therapy didn't come to like three or four months after I found out, but she was brutal on me, like emotionally brutal. You want to talk about even maybe skirting the unprofessional Mm -hmm. side of things. I mean, she was hard on me, like really hard on me. And a lot of the things I learned just went side, just coincided with things that I had learned when I was a kid. And, you know, just having to problem solve. And i really truly believe that a lot of BPD is problem solving, you know, and it's not easy for a lot of people to do because you have to sit back and go, okay, let me be mindful. Let me self-reflect. 
Well, in <clears throat> elementary grade wording, that's we get to solve a problem. And the problem is, this is how we're responding to that situation. Let's look at it as a whole and let's figure out how we can distract ourselves over here long enough to where we can figure out another solution to carry us through for the rest of our life to be able to manage that side of it. And, you know, it was it was hard. I want to say I found out in July in yeah, July. And then by November, I was just I was tired of being told what BPD was. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm done living BPD the way everybody else believes it should be lived as. I'm just going to live it my way. And the um, when I like about a month in, man, I had read so many dead gum psychiatric journals and like, God, so many medical journals and how the brain worked and all the neurology and all the, you know, the genetics and all the everything that works around and in and through it. And I'm going, well, no wonder the psychiatrists don't ever want to answer any damn questions because they can't barely read the damn journal that they wrote. Like, why? how are they supposed to be able to translate that to us normals? Like, you can't. You, yeah. you just can't do it because it's, it's, I honestly believe half of this crap that are in those psychiatric journals is literally like a whole other language. Like one that hasn't even been created yet. It's a whole other language. And I just, I don't know, one day I just got fed up with trying to rely on everybody else to give me the answer so that I could figure out the problem. I went and joined all these Facebook groups on you know, about borderline and all this stuff. And I'm sure you've seen them and then many others have is, you know, the we're warriors borderline group. Yeah, and I yeah. think there were like three or four others that were really big at 20,000 members. And um, this one girl, or there were two of them. Um, I'm maybe getting who started what first, but one of them made a post on the group and said, hey, I don't have very many friends, but I want to have some girlfriends that understand how I feel that we can just talk and hang out and laugh and do whatever with. And I mean, not do whatever with, but just chit chat on a Facebook group. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, so her name, um, I'll just call her Ashley for now. And um, well, her name actually is Ashley. I'm just not going to tell you her last name because she might get pissed off at me. But um, she made this post and then this secondary person came along and her name is Amanda and she and Ashley kind of got together and started chit-chatting because Amanda I believe was the first one that responded or vice versa and um, so they ended up starting this Facebook group chat and uh, then like before we knew it there were 12 of us in this Facebook group chat and I mean for like two weeks straight it was all day long, 24-7, laughing, crying, you know, screaming, yelling, trying to help each other and do whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day, one of the group members found out that she got kicked out of one of the BPD Facebook groups that um, literally we saw the post and it was her begging for help because she was not in a good spot, but she got booted out of the group. Right. And it, it, when I say, when I get real quiet, run, <laughs> all the girls were like, uh, what's going on here? 
because I got real quiet. Like I didn't talk for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Fuck it. If she's going to get kicked out of a group, we're just going to fucking start our own group. Like fuck them. And, you know, we were all like throwing fingers to the group and whatever. And I just remember like we all started this Facebook group and it, we ended up just deciding that, you know what, let's just do it just for women, but do it from a point of view that we are not going to stay victims to this. We can be hurt by it. We can work through the emotions of it, but we're not going to be fucking victims. Like if we want to be a fucking victim, there's victim services down the road. You can go talk to them. They can figure it out. But BPDers, unfortunately, we don't have time to be victims Hmm. because if we are and we stay victims, we don't ever grow. We don't ever get any better. We get worse Hmm. because we live within our emotions and we uh, ended up starting it in, I want to say mid-November, maybe beginning of November. And now almost a year later, we're almost at 2000 women that have joined. And we have like a DBT group that we're doing starting in October that is actually Marsha Linehan's group. We're doing all our worksheets and workbooks and stuff like that. And man, I have seen some of the most incredible things come out of these women. They've just like, some of them have left and they blew up and got pissed off. I mean, at one point, oh my God, it was like, (laughs) oh, like a month into it. I got called a cult leader <laughs> and like half of our girls broke off and split and started another uh, all women's BPD group. And I just like the whole time, like I just stayed quiet. I didn't say anything. I just was like, you can say whatever you want, but if you really truly knew me and you really truly knew my heart and where I come from, you would know that that is the absolute last thing I would ever be on this earth. I would shoot myself before I became a cult leader. Like I would not put anybody through that hell. Not ever. Will never ever again. I yeah. I, I was uh, when you say a cult leader. I've I'm being called a cult leader at the moment with my own group, um, <coughs> so I'm I'm identifying as a, I don't believe in God or anything like that. So yeah. I can only identify as a green wheelie bin, because um, <laughs> I've fucking nothing else to identify as. So. I kind of just put up a picture of a green wheelie bin for the group going, I think this is who we'll pray to. Um, yeah, like a, cult, a cult leader. It's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, because I think my, I ask a lot of questions too. And that's probably why they think I'm a cult leader because, or thought a lot of the women, funny enough, um, that broke off, that got pissed off and broke off and started their own group actually ended up coming back. And my response to them from the day they left to the day they came back and believe me, they left three or four times in between till now has always been like, I'm never going to leave. I'm always going to be here. The doors are wide open for you. I'm not going to block you because I get offended. Like that's immature. Like I'm an adult, but I'm also like, I'm not the leader of this group. There's eight other women in this group that are the admins that are the leaders of this group. That's it. The only reason people ask me questions is because I'm, I mean, I'm 33 years old, right? I have been working in an executive level management side of work for 20 years. I started at 13, a logistics Mm. company. 
I was 13. Like you don't do that ever. Nobody does. So I have learned how to manage things, how to manage people in some areas, but by management, a lot of people think that, oh, that's controlling. No. Like if you have a list of bills to pay, what do you call that? Managing your life, managing your bills. You're responsible. You take care of it. You make sure that it solves a problem so you can move forward to the next month, to the outrageous electrical bill you're going to have next month, you know? And I guess a lot of the girls thought I was just crazy and trying to, I don't even care. Like, I don't want to control anybody. Like I can barely control my own damn life. How am I going to control yours too? Like, really? Like I'm, I get like two hours of sleep. How in the hell do I have time to manage your life too? You crazy. And for me, I just, you know, got to a point where that's moot you know, kind of backtracking a little bit. That's kind of where my, I just choose to love people where they are and for, you know, in the condition that they're in. And right now I can tell you, like, I have seen women from all shapes, sizes, faiths, no faith. Like, I mean, we've got people that are um, agnostics. We've got people that are evolutionists. We've got witches. We've got uh, Christians, Baptists. Pentecostal, Mennonites, uh, Amish, <laughs> like we've got, we've got every type of human in our group and we've even got non-binary and I'm even the first to admit, like, I don't even know that much about the LGBTQ community, but I'm not going to judge you because of my unknowingness. I want to learn. Yeah. So we're, we're in this, this phase with this group that now it's like, it's growing and there are women that started out with us that man, like I literally just got off the phone with, with one of them before we got on here. And I can honestly tell you like the best feeling in the world for me, aside from feeling like I have my BPD managed is seeing other women benefit from being in a group of women that don't see them for how they behave, but that see them for who they are in the condition that they're in. Because when you can start seeing people that way, I truly, truly believe that's when people start wanting to change because they don't have to hide anything. They don't have to keep anything. And honestly, I think our secrets are the ones that hold us back more than, you know, more than protect us. percent when you're trying to hide, that's like one of the big, one of the big things with this podcast is I'm completely honest and that's, from what I hear is people say it's 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 great to see someone with BPD that has, you know, complete honesty. Like I don't really hide anything in a sense of I've talked about intrusive thoughts and yeah <clears throat> stuff like that. And you have to, someone has to be vulnerable in a sense to go, look, this is the way it is, and that's that's the way it goes. And people then start to talk. It's like, you know, on the Instagram. Like Brianne does the Instagram account, um, with you, me, and BPD. But the amount of people that are opening up to her and sharing their story, because that's what it's about. It's about to be able to actually say, "Look, I am flawed as a human being." Yeah, you know what I mean. I am a flawed human being. I'm a fucking legend of a human being, but I'm still flawed. <laughs> we can't do much about that. Like, you know what I- <laughs> yeah. This is my third podcast today. Like, <laughs> um, 
But like now, and I'm cooking in between, so I am doing my bit. Um, but um, like we are, we're flawed human beings. We're not perfect. I think we give ourselves more of a hard time than anyone else. Oh yeah. When they say something, it confirms what we already had in our head. So we get really hurt. Going, I already thought about that. Like I, I was already thinking I was a fucker, and now you're calling me a fucker. So now it must be true. Yeah. And all I want to do with people, no more than what you were doing, is just go, look, let's just see, can we figure this out? We might not. We might. Mm-hmm. But at least if we try. Well, I trying, but I ain't going to yeah. sit here on my ass with a stick shoved up it. I'm sorry. I got to keep moving. <laughs> you have to. You have to keep. Like, yeah. The biggest thing I find is I'm just, I'm just prepared to fail a lot more times. Mm-hmm. That's the only difference. I'm prepared to fail. Get up, get up, try it again, fail, get up, get up. So the person that won't try it, I've probably failed 10 times. And that's the only reason I have an advantage. Yeah. It's, I've failed 10 more times than the other person's even going to try. And that's yeah. all. It's, it's just the fact of getting hurt. Yeah. I know that's for me. It's getting hurt. And I get hurt all the time. Even though I'm, I'm six foot one. I still get hurt. I have feelings. I have BPD. <laughs> so, yeah, right. But I'm prepared yeah. to be hurt. I am prepared to be hurt. And over the years, I went from being really hurt and reacting to being really hurt and responding. Yeah. And the difference and that, is that. Yeah, and that was that actually was the biggest um, the biggest non-starter for me was not that I overreacted. It was that everybody else, like seeing all these people react to me and watching and hearing and seeing how I responded to their reaction was like, okay, this shit's got to stop. I can't live my life like this anymore. And like I had um, just more insight on as to how I found out I had BPD was I... um, I guess last, I went through, I guess I'm going to back up. Over the last like four years mm-hmm. now, my entire world has seemed like it all involves around cancer. It all involves around drama and bullshit that I can't, I have zero control in. And I know I have zero control in, but I, because of the way my mind is, I'm like, okay, well, I can figure this out too. I can solve this. I can do this. You know, I'm trying to like move shit around and like wiggle my way out of it. And then I just realized I just got to sit in it, but I can figure out a way to sit in it to where I don't get burned either. Mm -hmm. And, um, my son in, I believe it was 2018, he got diagnosed with sarcoma in his leg. And so we had just come back from a family vacation. We were down at the beach. Everything was fun. We, you know, uh, let go of my grandmother and my grandfather's ashes at the beach because that was like the 50th anniversary of their 50th anniversary type deal. And so we all decided, yeah, we're just going to spread their ashes and whatever. And we let them go in the ocean. And I remember we got back and it was just an accident that I like my finger accidentally rubbed up against his leg. And I felt a bump. And from then on, it was a year straight, just about doing surgeries and meds and, you know, wasn't even chemo because they didn't want to give him chemo or radiation because they were afraid because of how short he was at the time. Like he was, he was a, a eight-year-old, seven, eight years old. 
And I mean, the dude was three foot. I mean, he was a tiny little dude. And yeah. he was like, went through three surgeries, had, you know, I mean, he loves football, American football. And, you know, would he, his only desire was to be part of a team. And he had to go through all this stuff, middle of his football season, wasn't able to play majority of the time. But when he got back on, you know, he did amazing, did fantastic because he just sat in his wheelchair and watched his team, supported his team. That's just who he is. And then like a month after he finished his treatments and getting the, you know, the all clear, I got mine in my left shoulder. Mm -hmm. Literally, we were on a vacation to Disney World. Like it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And that was not the happiest place on earth. <laughs> and I ended up having to go through chemo. They ended up doing radiation for two months, three months straight. And thank God I had the cousins that I did. My, you know, my cousins are, one of them is in med school trying to become a, a doctor. The other one was in law school and they were living in a studio apartment. And I tell you these, they dropped everything and moved for three months so that we had a place to stay that was right next to where the hospital was that I had to get all my radiation treatments from. And oh. I tell you, I can't tell you I would have survived driving back and forth every single day because I, at the time I lived in Del Rio, which is on the border, which is where all the crazy border crisis stuff is going on right now in Texas. And it's a three and a half hour drive to the hospital one way. Nice, okay. Yeah, it would have been crazy. And I was literally thinking about doing it because I was like, I don't have any other option. I can't afford $1,500 a month in rent. And they let us stay there rent free. And it just, you know, it just got to a point where, you know, at first I was like, oh my God, this is never going to end. This shit's never going to end. And then like, I want to, it was March 25th of 2020. I finished I rang my bell. I didn't have any hair. Everybody thought it was really cute that I was a bald head. And I was like, oh my God, give me my freaking hair back. And so I got my hair back, but it's all black. And now I have a bunch of gray. So now I dye it black because I refuse to have gray hair. I'm too young to have gray hair at this point. And um, then in July, like I'm, I'm a big Labrador Retriever fan. So I've wanted to breed labs since I was a wee little kid, like yeah. a wee toddler. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to get into this. And so that's why I have so many dogs, because I have a litter in my house right now, actually, funny enough. But um, my mentor, my breeding mentor at the time was actually in Missouri. And so I went for like five days down to Missouri to visit them. Well, in the interim, of course, you know, made some mistakes, said some shit I shouldn't have said. And they were you know, some of it was misunderstood. Some of it was, you know, purposeful because of, you know, call it attention seeking, call it whatever the hell you want. Like, you know, I knew it was wrong and I did it and I shouldn't have done it. And I don't know what you did. Like, I have no idea what you did. Uh, like just talking bullshit, making shit right. up and like making it bigger than it actually was to the point where they, yeah, they thought it was, they thought there was, one aspect was a lot more dangerous. I can't talk about it because it's actually still under investigation, funny enough. And um, so when I came back home, my life basically unraveled. So the things that I had kept secret for so long, things that I'd never wanted to talk about, things that I didn't talk about, things I just walked through and was like, fuck it, I'm never going to talk about it again. 
um, they all dug up. And it's funny when the federal government pulls up behind you and you lease to that entity that pulls up behind you and tells you, oh yeah, we investigate crimes like sex trafficking, human trafficking, child trafficking. We investigate all those crimes and part of your life fits underneath that. And I'm going, oh, Jesus. So my solution and what they recommended was that if I wanted the best possible outcome to this whole situation was that I needed to get plugged into help because they couldn't tell, they, nobody knew. You need to get what to help? Yeah. The, one of the officers was just like, reach out to these people, see if they can help you because there's a lot of things that are going on with you that you may not even know that are going on and you need to reach out to like victim services and have them help you. Well, I did that. And it was like, they're supposed to be victim services. And they said, oh, well, if you don't have an open and and active investigation or case, we can't help you. And I'm going, well, then why the fuck are you called victim services? Why? Like, it's the stupidest shit ever. And so the prior to me finishing radiation, um, so I finished March 25th, 2020 in um like i want to say two weeks prior to that it was like the 16th of march i was assaulted while i was out with a friend and she got i mean trashed right it was her birthday we went out for her birthday she got trashed i you know i mean i had been drinking too but i had to like as soon as i saw how crazy she was getting i had to tone down my drinking and i had to watch her well i did that and i got into an altercation with some guys that wouldn't leave her alone and then they ended up coming after me afterwards because I pissed them off. And so like two weeks prior to me finishing radi- finishing radiation, I had been sexually assaulted. I chose not to report it. I told some people I had just so that they wouldn't freaking ask me questions because I didn't want to talk about it. And the only person I told was my primary care physician, which is like my doctor basically. And yeah. she was the one that got me on antidepressants because I had like gone from like being okay up here to being like face on the floor, glass cracked, like all up at glass shards in my face. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't doing good at all. And she was just like, I really want you to meet this, this colleague of mine, but she's a psychiatrist. And I was like, no, fuck that shit, dude. I'm not doing a psychiatrist. Like, no, no, there's no way. I'm not crazy. I'm not doing this shit. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And so I, um, I ended up going to Missouri, fast forwarding again, ended up going to Missouri, having all this shit blow up, driving back home. And when I pull into where I was living, like I'm pulling up to my office and Homeland Security drives in behind me, lights flashing, DOT everywhere. So this is like multiple branches of federal government that are all working together to save people that are in really shitty situations and I was like oh my god my life is over (laughs) like it's totally over and it was it was at that point in time because I did not think that I was going to make it out I thought I was going to go to prison I thought all this stupid shit was going to happen and then all of a sudden this lifeline got offered to me to talk to a psychiatrist that her at the time um significant other may or may not have been Uh, a federal investigator different branch of the government 
but a federal investigator. Yeah. And yeah. my doctor was like, if you have to go to court and you want to have any freaking prayer of getting through this, you want her in your corner. And I was like, that's not the reason why I would talk to her, but okay. <laughs> and so I ended up talking to her and she was the one, like she talked with me for a few weeks and like after the first week, she, I had her personal cell phone. I didn't abuse it. I left it alone, but she would say things to me and I'd like react to her that I didn't even know I was reacting. I thought that was just a normal way of handling things. And so then slowly the more that we talked personally on a personal level and not in a professional space, right? She was like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> There's no question about that. And so once I got diagnosed, I was kind of able to start walking through the steps. And that's when I realized the hell that I'd really lived through. Because I think the biggest thing for me was that I had gone through life for so long. Like I knew the hell that I'd lived through. Mm. I knew the things mm. that I had been through because obviously I've got the memory. Some of them I can't remember. Some of them I do, but I just, it was like shit just made sense again yeah. and it clicked. Yeah. And so I started talking to her about some of the things that I'd never said to anybody before. And I had a, I, I can't get too far into it because I could literally get myself in trouble if I start using names of organizations and shit like that. But um, my, I had at the age of 13, I had a very traumatic event happen to me where I lost somebody that was very, very close to me. Um, she died and I witnessed it and nobody ever came looking. Everybody assumed she was a runaway. And then over time, it just, I don't know, it just became like a movie that we watch almost like that was how the rest of my life felt like was it oh yeah well I may have watched but it's like whatever you know it's just a movie I completely separated between this is my real life and this is the life that I'm living actually no and, family life, no family life. Hmm? your speaker's on your in the speaker's background on. it's repeating my speaker is it must be yeah Oh, it's gone, is it? Uh, had the girl no family? Um, no, I have. I had family. I just wasn't like we were. No, the runaway, the girl that ran away, the, that she didn't run away, but had she no, no family? She um, she did. They just, you know, again, it's like they just didn't care. You know, it was it was easier to just. I mean, I still to this day they still ignore it. I mean, and I still know the family. They just. They won't even acknowledge her existence. It's a very let me get this straight. The girl died. You you know she died. So there must be a body somewhere, and mm -hmm. they're just putting it as a runaway. But obviously mm -hmm. she's dead somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, like, did you never report the fact of her location? Mm -mm. I don't remember. <laughs> Like, I know. Do you mind this if I ask fun. you about that? Like, yeah, yeah. Go so, ahead. right, just because I'm just trying to get it into my head. So, I'm just going to assume it's my friend and we're friends, and he dies, but he, like, he dies, we'll say, in a field. Just, mm -hmm. you know, um, I know where he died. Did you never report it to the police? Mm -mm. 
I couldn't. Um, like why? Can you say? Um, no. Okay. But I will. Like, don't don't incriminate yourself either. I mean, it's it's not about. No, it's it's kind of. I'm trying to think of a good example that would. Hmm. Use help. me and my friend. We'll say. Um, okay, so if you saw somebody strangle, let's just say, let's just say you have another brother out there, right? Redheaded, green eyes, freckles all over his face, and God help us, he's German. Um, let's just say you saw somebody strangle him, and then you get threatened okay. by the very person you're supposed to be reporting to. Right, okay. So, yeah, kind of stuck hard wall, or yeah, rocking a hard place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and there's there's a lot of things that I do remember mm. about my life, and there are, like, I still, even sometimes at night, I lay down, and I feel like I've got these, like, memory holes, not gaps, but full-blown, like, never-ending black hole holes in my memory and now that I have kids I'm actually thankful that I do because I don't know that I want to know honestly some days I mean it, it irritates me and it bothers me but now I can I can lay in bed at night and be okay with the fact that I don't know what horrors are down in that dark place <laughs> like I don't want to know but I know eventually I'll have to know because there's, you know, there are things down there that are harming me because I haven't healed from them, but I don't need to deal with it right now. Yeah. And that's okay. And, you know, the, the next big thing that kind of sideswiped my entire borderline, I want to, <laughs> I was about to say my borderline career. No, it's not a yeah. career. My borderline diagnosis is that I, you know, I mean, right after that, like, I want to say I hit like 14, 15, and I just went absolutely psychotic, like, slept around with everybody I could find, was doing every kind of drug I could find. I was self-harming. I was burning. I was drawing out self-harming. I was writing about it. I mean, I was even trying to talk to, like, every therapist I got taken into the first words out of their mouth was you need she's been sexually abused and then I would get taken right on back out okay. it was not about to get hurt and um just the older that I got the better I got at hiding it and then um you know stupid me and I say stupid me now because I know I can acknowledge my stupidity in the situation but I'm not disowning or discrediting the shit that I went through but I got into a relationship with a guy that was actually he was ex-navy and so ex-navy in Texas is like you know you got the marines you got the navy you've got army air force and coast guard right like I'm just naming them all off not saying they're in that order but you know everybody flips out if you meet a navy or a marine because they really don't have any air force. I mean, any bases 
in Texas, except for down by the coast. It's Houston or Corpus. Yeah. And so the fact that I met one in San Antonio was like a miracle. <laughs> and so I ended up meeting him and I was uh, 16, 17 when I met him. And oh my God, that boy was into some things um, that kind of went along with some shit I got into when I was a kid, but he was specifically into SRA and uh, you'll have to pause for a moment what's sra um satanic ritual abuse and satanic as now he's in the devil did he um yep he said he did and specifically he would tell me that he believed that you know whatever he felt was right was right but we we you know, call them was... we call them pricks in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, now I just call him a fucking narcissist. <laughs> That's all he is because he just wanted to do what was good for him and nobody else. That was it. That's yeah. like the baby scale of what he was. And so you know, satanic, I was of course satanic rituals. Hmm? I uh, satanic rituals. Tell me what like what's a satanic ritual? Um, there's. Obviously, there's a spiritual element to it. There's um, a lot of, like, he always did things in sixes. So there was always six men, six different positions, six different trains, six, you know, it was like everything was in sixes, which I never understood. I never got, I mean, that's like the kindergarten version of it, but yeah. everything to him was ritualistic and I got pregnant with him twice the first time he induced a miscarriage and this is it had happened in the past too but um he induced a miscarriage and then took the tissue from that miscarriage and fed it to him and his cronies yeah. it was disgusting yeah. and um then I just remember like, I mean, obviously there was other shit that happened in the time being that where we were, but, um, how old were you? He, at that time I was 17. Okay. And by the time I was trying to remember when I went out to, I just turned 17 and I think I broke up with him when I was I want to say I was end of my 18th year, about to turn 19. And um, yeah, it, I got pregnant again and told him I was leaving. And he, I was in school at the time too, trying to get my nursing degree because I wanted to be a nurse. Uh -huh, go figure. And I remember being at this junior college in the area and him like, driving up and it was weird because I didn't even know it was his car I heard it and I was like that sounds like a weird noise because we had these outdoor classrooms and the one that I was in was right next to the parking lot so I remember hearing this noise and then hearing the like all across the boardwalk coming down to where my classroom was and he opens the door and I'm like sitting right by the door which, I mean, anybody that's a victim of any kind of domestic abuse, you know that you are closest to the exit, regardless of, 
who's in the room and they i just remember him like walking in and i don't really remember anything after that other than what my teacher told me later but apparently he hit me in the face in front of my teacher and my classmates nobody did anything except the teacher later because once she like got off the shock portion of it she called campus security but by that time i was gone and he drove me downtown san antonio to planned parenthood and forced me to have an abortion so we did went through that ruha and then was finally able to get away from him because i basically moved (laughs) and didn't tell anybody where i was moving to and then right after that um i ended up coming back thinking okay yeah now i'm a little bit more stable i can come back i can finish doing this nursing degree thing and we'll be good and blah 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 and that didn't happen i went straight back to the same people i was hanging out with i was emceeing parties you know i mean it was like we were doing some stupid shit and i was i was over it because we hit a fence around our property and in the in the states police officers aren't allowed to come onto your property unless you actually have a warrant and they can prove that that person is on that property in that house and on the property we were at there were five houses they wouldn't have been able to prove that and so we had everything locked up all the time all the miners were (laughs) all the miners would go behind a wall that may or may not have been around a pool and then all the legals that could be walking around drinking (laughs) it'd be walking through the yard but we'd have like 125 cars in the yard like they could have started running plates, but I would always make sure that the kids that, you know, were underage, all their cars were back in the back behind bushes and trees. They can't see jack shit. And so everybody always felt comfortable coming to my parties. But of course, when they did that, there was an extreme amount of other shit that was going on at the same time. And so it just, I would say, give me eight months. And I was down in a, I was down in a hole so deep I couldn't get out of it and tried to commit suicide twice and it didn't work and in between those two suicide attempts i had actually decided okay i have got to stop this how am i going to stop this i mean and this is how crazy my head goes when i'm like mid manic when, when, did you, when did you try and kill yourself what year was it um well technically the first time i tried i was 15 and I tried overdosing on every painkiller I had in my countertop, on my countertop and in my cabinet. And then at the time, I, w- I was homeschooled too. I didn't go to a public school. So I was homeschooled, stayed within the family confines. And I ended up going to this thing we call a co-op. So basically all the nerdy homeschool kids can get together and take classes and the parents get a break for an hour. And um, literally had overdosed and um went to school went to my math class geometry specifically and ended up having to get up because I was so pale and my teacher said something to me and I was like oh shit it's happening and because I could feel it and so then I got up and walked out and one of the girls I was really good friends with could tell something was off and apparently she found me like knocked out cold on the floor and her mom was a nurse and of course her mom figured out some way I don't know what exactly she did but I ended up waking up on the couch at my house 
at the time and then ended up getting rushed to the emergency room an hour later because they were wanting to pump my stomach and the doctors literally had blood work that said your daughter's liver enzymes are four times higher than they should be she would be dead at double the enzymes and she's still alive sitting up eating chicken from kfc yeah and her enzymes are four times higher than they should be she should be dead right now and i'm sitting up eating a drumstick from freaking kfc like it's weird young young when when was the second time you tried to kill yourself the second time i was i was 16 um so the first time long time no i was yeah yeah um but no there's gets better um i was it was late 16 and um at the so here in the states there's a thing i don't know if they do it over in the uk or not but Uh, um pause pause for a sec the uk um i'm from ireland i know you are i know you're from ireland over the accent i'm just saying like i'm thinking (laughs) states to next big country is uk so the um i don't know if they do it anywhere else but here you can be you can be in high school and be taking dual credit classes at the same time meaning that you get college credits at the same time that you're in high school before you graduated and so i was i was doing that and traveling back and forth it was about a 45 minute drive and um we actually had an employee that came down for about a week and a half with an office manager of ours who the office manager was a female the employee was not and i remember one night this guy got toasted and you know me being where i've come from my door was the squeakiest door in the house i loved it but it also scared the shit out of me every time anybody opened the damn door but i always had beads or something that made noise that anytime anybody opened the door it would make a noise and it would wake me up so that if something ever happened like i had an escape plan <laughs> like uh, yeah. and i the only thing i remember is waking up at 2:33 in the morning and there was a hand on top of my mouth and then a few hours later he was out of my room i mean it doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened where where were your parents down the hallway and you know a few hours in a a bedroom Mm -hmm. my brother was right next door through a door because we lived in nobody hear anything I have no idea. That actually was one of the reasons why I attempted again, because I couldn't figure out why anybody could not hear that because I have the squeakiest door in the house. My fucking bed is an antique. It squeaks when I sneeze, like, Mm -hmm. let alone when anything else happens, like God help me. And I just, it, it ate me alive that nobody cared enough to wake up. Now, when you say cared enough, but did you confront your family about this afterwards? Yeah, it took uh, about four days after, and I ended up telling my dad what happened and um, told him he snuck into my room. This is what happened. This is how it happened. 
and I'm not okay with it. I can't do schoolwork. I'm shaking so bad. My damn, my college professors can see it on my face. Like I can't hide it. And he said, okay, leave, let me handle it. So I left and came back 45 minutes later. He said, okay, we're buying him a bus ticket back to where he's from. And um, all we're gonna do is just send him back. We gave him his paycheck that he had worked for. And I need, I need you to know that I need you to stop being so flirty. Wow. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. so and then sat me down, like, I kid you not, sat me down like five minutes later and said, you have a problem with being flirty. And I don't remember what the rest of the conversation was after that. I'm sure it was motivational to some point, but I cannot and could not get that phrase out of my head for the longest time. How old were you? Uh, 16. I was older 16 because I was driving myself at that point. So I had to have been late 16, about to turn 17, just so because I had these certain... You were a Marine fella as well, weren't you, at this stage? Um, within a few months, yeah. I met him after this. Okay, okay. And the right after this thing with the employee happened, I actually tried slitting my wrists mm. and that didn't work <laughs> very well. Um, and I remember going to the hospital for that and the social worker came in and said, do you feel all right? And I literally just busted out laughing. I was like, I mean, and it sounds weird, but I mean, when I get really, really like, scared I laugh yeah and when she came in and asked me that I just remember like in my head I wanted to go are you fucking retarded do you see the wrappings around my wrist do I look okay you motherfucker <laughs> like why are you asking me that dumbass question now in my older age I realize it sounds very rude it sounds very off-putting but it is actually from that is like from their book like they have to have me say no i'm not okay to be able to proceed with their yeah their investigation and everything else and so now i understand why but at the time i just laughed and i just said i'm fine and so they kept me for a few hours did a mental evaluation on me and they're like yeah no she's fine to go and i'm like even to this day i'm like oh my god they're crazier than i am they seriously like have mental issues if they thought that was a good answer but you know again another part fast forwarding to me meeting this psychiatrist that i did even she said that we're not going to put energy into people that don't want to help themselves because there are other people that actually want help that actually really truly need the help that we can help we're not going to waste the time and energy on somebody that doesn't want help they just want attention and a lot of people don't understand that that it's the same in the mental health industry at least here in the states i don't know about anywhere else mm. here in the states they'll if if you want to be a victim and you want to you know give attention and you know glorification to wanting the attention and not getting the help 
they'll medicate the fuck out of you, but you'll be a zombie the rest of your life. You won't get any better. You will literally die of the overdose of medication that they will give you. You will not get better. You will just be a medicated zombie. But she told me, now, if you want to get better, then I'm willing to invest in you if you choose and you start walking out the evidence that you want to get better. Because people can say, yeah, they want to get better all the time. But if they aren't truly in it, they aren't truly going to heal. And so that now I know that. But back then, I didn't. I just went to the next guy thinking, oh, well, this will make me feel better. This will make me, you know, he'll complete me. He'll make me feel like I'm a real person again. And he'll love me and he'll care about me and want me around. And no, the dude fucking sold me to all his friends for like an ounce of weed sometimes. Sometimes he would get thousands of dollars for doing that shit. And then I got wise and smart enough where I was like, well, fuck, if he's doing it, I may as well do it. So I started doing it to myself on top of the shit he was doing to me because I just had no self-worth. I had no self-esteem. I did not care. Yeah. So you were and, selling you were selling yourself. How mm-hmm. old were you? Um, that started literally like within a few weeks of me meeting him. And lasted up until I was, yeah, I want to say 17 to 1920, because I got into rehab at 20 and then had my son when I was 21 in June. So I'm a little sketchy on the exact dates. I didn't write them down. I don't journal that much, (laughs) but um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was, well, I mean, it was you were you were basically raped. Uh, you went from being raped then into prick or a satanic ritual marine. Um, and I mean, if you your your whole self-worth was gone. So, I mean, as you said, he was selling you. You might as well sell yourself. Mm-hmm. And how did you get out of all of that? Um. Like I mentioned earlier, there was this this piece, this like moment for me where I, you know, I had tried to commit suicide and then I tried to commit suicide right before I found out I was pregnant with my son. But in that interim, when I was selling myself, I was like, I've got to stop this. Like, I want to stop this, but I'm so out of control. I can't physically stop it myself. So I stopped. And I asked myself, I was like, what's the one thing that I don't ever want to do? And the answer to that question was, I don't ever want to knowingly consciously hurt somebody the way that I've been hurt. And so I was like, holy fuck, I need to go get HIV. And then I'll stop sleeping with people. Of course. And that's that's exactly what I fucking did. Because in the States, it's illegal if you have HIV and you know and you don't tell the other person, that is illegal. You will go to jail. Have you, got, have you got HIV? I had one positive HIV test after that, and I was worried my son had it. I have been negative. I do not have any of the HIV hmm. um, markers at all, anywhere, ever, since that one time. And the doctors can't explain it. I, I'm, I'm completely ignorant to HIV. How do you have it 
in one test and then you don't have it in another test? How does that work? Um, I have no idea. I'm still quite, I still get tested every year, sometimes multiple times a year because I'm deathly afraid that mm. it's going to come back and it's going to become an issue and I'm going to die from it. And it, I mean, you know, it's like the extreme view of everything. It's like, I think I'm going to die. I'm fatalistic when I start getting afraid of shit. Yeah. And um, even the doctors couldn't explain it because I went to the free clinic that that's all they do is just solely STDs and STD testing. My mother went with me too. <laughs> yeah. It was negative. The first time I went, they even showed her the record where I had a positive HIV test. And then not two months later or three months later, because I was out of rehab by that point, um, it was negative and it has been negative ever since. Okay. There's been a few hiccups where I thought, oh shit, it's back. And they did too, but they ran the test and it was negative. It ended up being something else, another health issue that I had to deal with, cancer, you know, things of that nature, where it was like, we started freaking out that, oh my God, this one decision I made back 20 years ago or how 10 years ago. And now it's come back to bite me in the ass. And nope, I've been negative ever since. And my doctor is Catholic and she was like, God healed you. And I'm just like, he's, or he's, maybe I just, he's pretty good at stuff like that. Seemingly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, that's what I told her. I was like, well, clearly I wasn't in the right position for that one. <laughs> so, you know, it just, I can't explain it. And, you know, coming from where my, my family background comes from and my aunts, you know, they're all faith-filled, all prayer warriors. And even they have told me that, you know, God told them when I was a little kid that I was going to go through hell and back, but there was a purpose for me on this earth. And I, they told me that all growing up. And then I would just look at them and I'd be like, hmm. Okay. And then I would just go about my business. And now I swear to God, the only reason I'm here is yeah, probably because of him. If you're faith filled, if you're not, then I fought like hell to be here. And uh, now yeah. I'm here and I have an answer and yeah. I'm like, it opened up, it opened up an entire world for me that it finding out that I was BPD opened up the doors of hell it felt like but I also didn't see the other end of it because it freed me from a lot of things too mm. and so many of the women that I work with and try and help they only see the one side that oh well this is just my BPD well honey <laughs> uh, I hate to tell you but your BPD is you and you are your BPD so that is you quit blaming it on your BPD. Just say, I made that decision. You have to personalize it. It's not this big, bad monster over here in the corner. I mean, it is something that is in you because of something that was done to you and around you. You have to learn to manage it and utilize the therapies that are out there so that you can manage it because your BPD is, is as unique to you as your DNA. Literally. They cut, they say it's genetic. Well, fuck yeah, it is because it's just as unique to me as it is my DNA. Nobody else looks like me. Yeah. But you know, it's like, and I try, I, I, I try to say that more sensitively to the women that 
we try and help. But, you know, even the other night, like I was starting to, or Friday night, right? Or Sunday, it was Friday night. And, you know, this whole week has just been hell, been one shit show after the next. And I started, you know, of course, self-sabotaging and just going down into a depression and just feeling like, oh my God, I can't do this shit anymore. I don't want to do this shit. I'm so fucking tired of this crap. You know, just playing the mind game of victimization. And this this lady that actually works for us um, and helps us, she brought her daughter to work Friday afternoon. And I met her daughter. And Sean, when I tell you, I swear to God, I saw her and I was like, oh my God, there's another BPD person in freaking Texas in my small hometown. Oh my God, I'm so excited. This is oh, I'm so excited. I finally have a friend. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be disrespectful because some people just get off the chain. And then later that night, her mom started telling me she's 15 and has been diagnosed unofficially is what the doctor says with it and she just in talking to her it was like I felt encouraged and like as soon as I felt encouraged it was like my entire like I got back to my normal Mm. sense of self like okay we're at peace now we're zen we're good and you know like now it's got me even self-reflecting just to remind myself that even when I'm in the midst of those crisis type emotional ups and downs like I have to give myself some grace and I have to make I guess for me because I'm a I'm a visual learner like you have to show me you can't tell me you got to show me and so I usually try and like write a card or I'll buy a piece of jewelry or something that'll remind me of a memory that is comforting to me so that if I get in those moods, I can see it and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. And it distracts my mind just enough to where it can bring me back around full circle to be like, hey, we can do this. It doesn't feel gay right now, but give it half an hour and I'm sure some other stupid shit will go crazy and then we'll be distracted with that shit to forget ours. And then we may even forget it altogether. That's, that's just how life goes. I mean, no matter what, once one problem is solved, another one comes. Um, mm-hmm. I often think if there is a God, he's fairly busy making problems. But that's just yep. the way. Um, you know what I mean? He keeps you busy. But like, that, that is life. Life, I don't know about you, but the more I recovered, the, the more the worse my problems got, which is weird because I, I'm, I'm handling an awful lot more stress today than I was years ago yet years ago I couldn't cope and and that's just life in its own way but like as you see yourself when you see someone 15 it gives you hope to encourage yourself to improve because people like us me or you and you I mean you you didn't come through hell I think hell was built around you in the sense of the fucking life you had was unreal and when you come out of something like that you you you're not the same person because you can literally there's nobody can come up to you and go ah but you didn't have this happen <laughs> like literally there's fuck all bar of pain yeah i won't say pain but uh bar, i don't yeah. know what you know what i mean i mean you you've had aids you've, you've got cancer uh you know abortions you've been fucking raped uh family not protecting you in a certain circumstances 
you've had a pretty shitty life. There's no other way to say it. And you're here telling the tale, which is fantastic. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, and just to set, I just want to clarify. Mm. I've had a lot of really shitty things done to me, but my life as a whole, the good memories that I do have and the good things that did happen to me, even though they may be small and they may be minor, they had bigger impacts than the negative shit did. There may be more negative, but you know, like I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't have ever known my grandmother. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have the cousins that I have. I wouldn't be half the mom that I am if my aunt hadn't have been the first single parent in our family to be a single parent. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do half the shit that I can do right now if it had not been for the same family that rejected me one time. So their consistency, even though, yeah, I mean, there's other bullshit that happens, but I mean, what doesn't happen in a family? We all drive each other crazy. Like, of course, yeah. there's going to be conflict, but, you know, I've, I've gotten to a place now even like, and I've told my kids, like, I might get pissed off at you and I may overreact, but if you can help me to learn how to communicate with you, because only you know you. Like, I know you from my perspective, but you know you from your perspective. If we can come up with a way to communicate in a way that helps me help you, then communicate with me. I may not like hearing it, but I promise you I will never get angry at you or pissed off at you or hate you or say evil God awful things to you because you communicated. I'm going to support and I'm going to cheer you on because you communicated because you, it's not natural for you to want to. The fact that you did tells me that you're growing and there's something there that I've done right somewhere along the line. It may not look pretty right now, but there's something that I have done in your life that affects you enough to where you trust me and you believe what I say when I tell you I am your safe space. And that to me is everything. Yeah. Like people yeah. say a bunch of shit all the time. But when they act on it, that's what catches my eye. And that's, you know, why some of the, some of these women in this group, man, like I've just fallen in love with them, not like romantically, but just like some people are like, oh, you're just so strong. And I'm like, no, actually I'm not. I've been through hell and back. Yeah. But you know what? Don't compare your pain to mine because you look back even down to the medical Pain is pain is pain is pain. Your body does not read it any other way other than if I stub my toe, that shit hurts. If I cut a limb off, that shit hurts too. It just looks grosser, but your body still reads it the exact same way. Then the neurons still fire off the, you know, the electrical side of your body still does the same shit. Your lymph nodes still swell up because there's an infection. They don't know what infection it just reacts to one thing every single time. It is a one flow machine. And that's the one thing that, you know, even working with some of these women too, like our entire admin team has even said and agreed with that you can't, I can't judge my pain to yours because I didn't live the life that you lived. I've got friends in this group that, you know, they were rejected from their parents from day one. They weren't even wanted but there's some of the most wonderful people that I know. I'm like, how did you do that? How would you, I would have died. Like knowing me, 
I can withstand a lot of pain and shit and hell, but if you reject me, I die. She was rejected from day one and she's still here. And she is one of the most kindest people I've ever met, but will you piss her off? And she's one of the meanest bitches you will ever meet. (laughs) It's like, there's evidence of both there, but she chooses to walk in the positive of it. And that, you know, there's that to me is a true sign of strength is when you have both you choose which direction you want to go in and that's all that i did that's all that any of us can do i mean that's the whole purpose behind or at least i'm not going to say that in my opinion the purpose for me with bpd the difference between someone that succeeds and manages to someone that doesn't is one choice that's it you either choose to want it and heal and do the fucking work or you choose to stay victim to it and people are like oh no it's not a choice i'm so out of control and i'm like you you remember the whole like psychology experiment that i don't remember what his name was marks i think his name with the dog the psychology experiment oh, where uh, he ring a bell and the I've dog lost, would start drooling. of those bells there you go yeah same concept with BPD. Hmm. You you have been trained and literally you have learned how to react to this. The only difference is, is that because of the trauma that you've experienced, it's not just a normal reaction. It is an extreme one. But you have to recognize it first. And in order for you to recognize it, instead of just repeating what your doctor, psychiatrist, your therapy team has told you, You've got to go do the work. You've got to figure out what BPD is for you because my, one of my best friends, she's, she and I are like peas in a pod, but she internalizes and I can see it because she, she internalizes and withdraws me. I internalize, but I'm like a flat line. I stay the same. Nobody can tell unless they know me well enough to know what my cues and what my little hmm. ticks are yeah, yeah but nobody's yeah. ever going to know if they don't choose to become friends with me that's how friendship starts it's not just oh i met you randomly no you chose to get to know me just like you choose to read that borderline personality disorder workbook the blue one the easiest one you can get out there to learn what bpd really means to you what it really looks like that book all it does is it gives you it gives you a skeleton, but all the meat and everything else, that's you. Yeah. That's your life. That's your traumas. That's your shit. Nobody else can do that for you. You've got to do that. And a lot of the women in that group are starting to learn and see and grow and change. I mean, everybody's doing that, I think. But I think a lot of that also has to do with COVID. <laughs> you know, we're, everybody's afraid. So they got nothing else to do. So they better work on themselves because nobody else can see it. So if they fuck up, nobody knows. <laughs> Like yeah, we're stuck yeah. in our- that's true that's true so. um right to uh, what do you want to give the name of your group the women's group just in case women want to join us um it is called uh wwbpd is the acronym that we use but it's women with borderline personality disorder dash uncensored we don't censor people you can talk about whatever you want we're not going to judge we're not going to hate Anybody that does, they are 
caught and dealt with very, very quickly. And um, at the end of the day, we just, we want people to feel safe, but we won't let you stay in that space because we, we all deserve better men and women alike and non-binary whoever is in that group everybody deserves to be better and we as a group are growing together it's not just well there's five or six people in the group that are growing that are the leaders no we grow as a group and if we don't grow as a group we fail as a group end of story and that's why we're starting to offer this dbt workbook group with marsha linehan and you know, eventually, you know, it's not knock on wood, it's not on the books yet, but you know, we're, we're wanting to plan get togethers, you know, women would be PD and eventually be able to expand and grow and hopefully maybe even connect with some other BPD groups and hopefully we can all meet together. And then hell, all the BPD people have friends because we all have BPD. So we can piss each other off. And we're like, I know that's your BPD talking right now. So I'm not going to get pissed off at you for saying that. That's it. But, be great, uh, it would be a great time to have a massive conference. Um, oh, dude. <laughs> I've often pictured right. like um, the witches. <laughs> witches masks off. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that, you know? <laughs> Are the yeah. doors locked? Yeah. Right. Fuck this. Let's just fucking relax now, you know? Yeah, um, there's normals in the room. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's any normals in here, fuck off out, you know. But yeah. uh, look, I'm going to, uh, I'm going putting the kids to bed. So the podcast is coming to a fucking a lovely end. Um, yeah. I have to put the kids to bed about three, four minutes. But what a fascinating story, I have to say. Like, And what's fascinating about it is this. You have come through hell and you're a really positive human being, which I love to hear. You know, are you a mad fucker? No more than myself. Mad as a brag of cats. And I love that. I don't like people who pretend they're normal. I'm as mad as a bag of fucking cats, but I'm quite okay being mad as a bag of cats. Mm -hmm. I, I get freaked out when people go that they're really, really normal and everything else. We're not normal. We're fucking people with BPD. And you should be proud of that. Um, but to come through what you've come through and be able to tell the tale, because, I mean, I've heard some horror stories, but yours is just number one, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> it truly is. Like, this is the first podcast. You, you wouldn't be listening to the podcast, I know. This is the fir- first podcast where I've been fucking dumbfounded going, Jesus, I've nothing to say. <laughs> normally, I'd be. <laughs> normally, well, let's do it again sometime soon, and then <laughs> we, will be, we will be doing it again because I love having I love having people on my podcast where I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> and and your story, you see, normally what I do with people is I get them on, and generally they don't tell the story that you've just told, and I like to have a bit of crack with them. Crack in Ireland means fun. In America, it means oh, something yeah. up your nose, right? But I like to have a bit of crack with them. And in your in your story, and and trust me, I can normally slide in a joke here and there, and I do, just to humor the podcast. 
And I was just sitting here with your story going, yeah, you wouldn't be able to throw a joke into it. No, you couldn't throw a joke into that one. <laughs> no, that's not hey, funny. You're welcome to anytime. Yeah. I love sarcasm. It's yeah, funny I as shit. I fucking love sarcasm, but with your story, I was like, no, you can't throw one in there either. And I was thinking of them going, no, there's nothing that could sit there now. There's nothing that could sit here. So I fucking want you to come back because I have to, I have a lot of sarcasm I have to give you that I couldn't give you with that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always tell people when I make a mistake, I'm like, fuck me. And I'm like, but don't rape me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you see, that's it. That's it. That's the type of person. I mean, it's like, I mean, I don't tell everybody that, and maybe that probably may trigger some people, but you know, it's like I've come, I've come through therapy, I've done rehab, I've come to a place within myself where it's like I, I know what shit was done with me. There's holes, yeah, but you know, it's like it, it's not dictating the rest of my life. I've got kids that are watching me, and my biggest, my biggest thing that I want out of my kids is for them to do it better than me. And for them to do it better than me, that means I have to do better than I was. Yeah. And I am. So that's my success story is that I've just, I've taken shit that I've walked through. I I'm an, I'm a thinker and I get shit done and I can, I can send you name upon name, upon name, upon name, people that don't have BPD. Like I even have a friend that she's worked with people with BPD her whole life has a psychology degree, everything. And she was like, you legitimately are like the most highest functioning borderline I've ever met in my life. And I was like, um, no, I'm probably just the stupidest because <laughs> I just <laughs> just ran right through that shit. I yeah. ran right through the fire and was like, did I lose all my hair this time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, you're stupid. <laughs> she even, she calls me, she actually has me in her, um, in her phone as King Bitch. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, King Bitch, I'm going to end the podcast because it has been, it has been a fucking, Jesus, you have some story, to be honest with you. And I'm in awe. I love meeting people like you that have come through what you've come through and, you know, clearly made a life for yourself. That's what this podcast is about. It's a, it's not about, like, you know, I'm not encouraging you to listen to the podcast, but I wouldn't be offended if you did either. Um, (laughs) If you, if you, you'll basically see none of the podcast is about being a victim. And you're like, I've never even had a leaderboard of anyone that had really shitty lives, but you're fucking up at the top. Congratulations. You had the shittiest life that I fucking had. (laughs) And like, you're living a very positive life. Um, And my, if I was wearing a hat, I'd take it off to you. Um, You know, because I, I love to see this. This is what life's all about. People like you who've come through hell and then live a positive life, you know? And speaking of positive lives, I literally have to let you go because my kids are going to go to bed and I won't have a positive life because it's half seven here in Ireland <laughs> if I don't go and put them to fucking bed. So, um, yes. listen, every, to bed. yeah, every thanks very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I will have you back because you fucked up my podcast in a sense that I never got to talk about. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm I normally, so sorry. <laughs> I normally get four or five good jokes out on a podcast, and you've fucked it up for me. So listen, <laughs> I want you it's to okay, we'll fuck it up again. <laughs> okay, listen, thanks very much. Yeah, no problem. Talk okay. to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.